Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We are so excited to bring you this show. Our podcast is all about unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed games. Each episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Assassin's Creed universe. From pieces of Eden, solar flares, and the Isu, to the Hidden Ones, the Order of Ancients, and of course, the Animus, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us, and maybe even take a leap of faith. Welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby. You might also know me as She Cup. I'm super excited to be here today to talk about the world of Assassin's Creed. And I am joined here with me by my co-host. Yeah, so I'm Austin, also known as Teacup, and we are back to our main topic of the season after a character deep dive, a small break, and a patron chat. Yeah, I know. It's been a while. Um I mean, I guess we also talked about Alexios versus Cassandra. And so we've just kind of been all over the place. So let's get into some more, some deep lore. I know this is like a huge topic that we're talking about today. Yes. um, And like all things in Assassin's Creed, it is a huge topic that we know nothing or very little about. Of course. Of course it is. This is like one of the biggest things in Assassin's Creed. Yes, um, just because it's a big moment that happens, uh, it kind of characterizes the rest. Uh, You might be wondering, so I'm just going to kind of enter this topic. So you might be wondering that, you know, Bike and Aya set up the Order of the Hidden Ones. When we meet Basim and Hytham, they are Hidden Ones. When we meet Altair in the 12th century, Altair is an assassin. So when does this change happen? When does they move from assassin or from hidden one to assassin? When does this change happen? And that's kind of what we're going to talk about uh, because we're going to talk about the rise of the Levantine Brotherhood, which 
is the Altair Brotherhood and is the order in which we'll be introduced to with Basm a little bit. Um, just kind of like the starts of that. Even though Basm takes place before Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the kind of start of this happens there. So a little bit of kind of fun facts about from Hidden Ones to Assassins. So sometime in the 11th century, which is the 10 hundreds, uh, the Order of the Hidden Ones decides to begin to call themselves the Assassin's Brotherhood. Sean Hastings theorized that Assassin was originally derived from the Arabic Hashashin, which, you know, if you say it fast enough, can very much sound like it comes from Assassin. Hashashin. Assassin. Hashashin. Hashashin. It means hash smokers. And was used as an insult to the Hidden Ones. So basically the Hidden Ones take this of like, let's just run with this insult and we'll call ourselves this. And then it develops into the assassin. Which makes sense because their whole purpose is to kill people who threaten humanity. It was in this time that the assassins fall under the leadership of Hassan-e-Sabah, a Persian assassin who in light of the Templars emerging as a knightly order. So remember that after Alfred takes over the Order of Ancients, he reforms them into the Order of the Knights Templar. And so he wanted to move the assassins into a more public group as well. Under his leadership, assassins assassinations were much more often carried out in public in view of other people in the light of day, encouraging the people to stand up against the oppression alongside the assassins. And so this is kind of a shift where Bayek and Aya's order are more about, okay, let's keep this war hidden. We'll assassinate these people in public or in private, and that will come out. But there they're like, okay, let's assassinate to where it has the most societal causation effect on it. So, you know, like assassinating a public figure while they give this very public address would not be in the style of Bayek and Aya's hidden one order, but would be in the style of this kind of new regime public assassin brotherhood. So they lived this way for about a a hundred years, maybe 200 years. In 1162, there's a new leader and Hassan the Younger is his name. He sends, sends the assassin Rasid Aden Sina to Syria to establish a brotherhood influence in the Levant. This assassin would later rename himself as Al-Mulim and would lead to the brotherhood's influence in Syria. Now, this is the interesting fact here. According to the official AC guide for the first game, it was speculated that Hassan sent Al-Malim away because of an ideological rift between himself and Al-Malim. We do not know what the source of the rift was, but it is speculated by other assassins in the guide that it was Al-Malim's desire for power and independence that led him to leave. I mean, given what we know about Al-Mulim, that makes sense to me. That does not feel off from his character. Right. So Al-Mulim goes and he sets up his own little brotherhood here. And he starts adding additional tenets to provide new guidelines and ideologies, which these are really interesting to me. Because there's only two that he really 
does other than the core three tenets, which are stay your blade from the flesh of the innocent, stick to the shadows, and never compromise the brotherhood. He bans the use of poisons. Why? I don't really know, but he bans the use of poisons. But he also starts promising initiates paradise upon their death for um, service to the brotherhood, which is very interesting to me. And I don't know if like Ubisoft would really want to kind of lean into this ideology a little bit because it's very similar to like what often we get perceived as like a prolific idea in Middle Eastern faiths that, you know, if you die in a suicide bombing, you'll immediately get to heaven because you killed the infidels. Like, it's very similar to that. I wouldn't be surprised if Ubisoft kind of like, okay, this little lore fact, we're not, we're just going to ignore it. It doesn't exist because it reads in bad taste given the area that this is set in. See, that's interesting because to me, I was thinking about Catholicism. I wasn't necessarily thinking about Islam because, you know, that kind of ideology, it's not a one-for-one comparison. It's not the exact same thing, but that type of ideology of, well, if you do this, then you will definitely get into heaven and you can, you know, get time off of your loved one's time in hell or purgatory is very similar to the idea, which is the indulgences from, you know, the Protestant Reformation. So to me, that's where my mind went, because it's very Mm -hmm. similar to that ideology as well. It's this whole thing of like, you're going to earn your way into whatever paradise comes in, which to me is interesting, because in the tenets of the set up, like the Assassin Brotherhood, the Hidden One Brother, the Hidden Ones are all about Yes, this is going to suck. Your life will not be easy, but you will make a better world for humankind. And the sacrifice is necessary so that other people will benefit. The added emphasis on like, okay, now you're going to benefit too is interesting to me. Mm -hmm. But it also, it kind of paints this picture of Amalim in this point of like, he's not recruiting to the general assassin's brotherhood he's recruiting people who are going to be loyal to him which again explains why altair has such an issue with him in the first game Mm -hmm. well just wait because we don't get this information in the first game it's hidden behind database and other info things but there's going to be a Another layer to this relationship between Altair and Amalim coming up just right now. So in 1176, Saladin, who is the leader of the kind of Holy Land area, uh, he is the main, like, when you, the Third Crusade, like, he's the guy. Like, the boogeyman that the Catholic Church paints and that England paints is Saladin. And so... He set up a camp outside of the Levantine Assassin's headquarters at Masyaf. So Almolim builds Masyaf. It's not established and he doesn't go there. He is the one who goes and builds that as the headquarters. So Saladin sets up this headquarters intent on destroying this foreign power who has taken residence in his domain, his area. Which, like, if you don't know, because you might not know, like, Syria and, like, Jerusalem and Israel, they're, like, Syria is kind of, like, the backyard neighbor to Jerusalem. And so, like, 
a, a foreign power setting up on that border would be a big threat to that area because it would be very easy for them to come in and basically surround them with the European crusaders coming in from the West. And so that, that's why he's going there because he's like, who the hell are these people? So Amalim Sims Umar Imbaladahad, which that name should sound familiar because it is Altair's family name. Uh, and he is Altair's father. And so he sent uh, Amalim sends him to silently infiltrate the tent and plant a message. But Umar is discovered and captured and he eventually is turned back. But Saladin basically interrogates another assassin who gives Umar up. Uh, he Umar is then a force to kill some of Saladin's men, which this discovery basically gets Saladin to promote peace with the assassins. But he demands one thing. He demands Umar's head. And Al-Malim agrees. So he turns over Altair's father to be executed by the um, by Saladin's men. And that's the end of that. So Al-Malim at this point then basically takes Altair as his personal protege. He sacrificed his father to be executed and then takes this impressionable boy and raises him as his protege. That's really messed up. Mm-hmm. So just to just to reiterate this a little bit, you're saying that Al-Mulim intentionally assassinates, murders Altair's father, takes Altair into his own home, basically, and raises him as a son to do his own bidding. I don't know how much is intentional. Given what we know about Al-Malin's intentions and goals, I would say it's more likely this might have been intentional. But we don't know what was intentional or not because it is a sticky situation. You have this powerful force on your doorstep who could, if they wanted to, annihilate you, who is suing for peace. And so... To get peace, you just have to give up this one assassin. I think the added thing that Almalin takes Altair as his protege could read two ways. It could read as this mentor being like, I'm responsible for your father's death, so I'm going to make sure that you're raised okay as an act of taking responsibility of that. Or it could have been a thing of, I've put this trauma on you. So now I'm going to make sure it shapes you in the way I want it to shape you. I mean, yeah, that's fair, too. I just, no matter which way you slice it, it's a really messed up situation. Yes. And, you know, it, Amalim is not shy of making these sacrifices. So, you know, the events of the first game start and you're in Solomon's temple. You get this thing. You have the... Thing with the Templars where Altair breaks all core all three tenets of the Assassin's Creed. He kills an innocent man, he reveals himself before the opportune moment, and he then leads to an attack on Masiaf, thus compromising the Brotherhood. So he breaks all three of these tenets. And Al Malim, he basically is the hero of the siege. He drives off the Templars. But Al-Malim still sees fit to punish him and basically mock, ex- mock executes him in front of the entire Assassin Brotherhood. 
And then he's demoted and you have to rebuild by assassinating the nine Templars, which that's going through the game. And then it's revealed that Al-Malin was actually the leader of the Templars as well. And he was vying for power and vying for this piece of Eden. And then you get that and there's a lot going on. Well, after this, which if you want to experience the aftermath of the end of the first game, you need to play Assassin's Creed Revelation because the memories you live kind of show that. So we know that after this, there's a small civil war after Al-Malin's death that is quickly put to an end by Altair. And basically the root of the civil war is Altair at this moment, has basically been viewed as a disgraced heretic. And so some people view him assassinating Al-Malin, and then he burns Al-Malin's body. Which, if you don't know, for the Middle Eastern cultures, that's a big deal. Like, that's a no-no. You don't do that with the religions in the Middle East, with Judaism, with Islam, and in some, some sects of Christianity. Like, you do not burn a body. And so... That is a big deal. And there's a big kind of conversation of like, Altair, this isn't how our people, but like Altair's like, he was using weird magic. I need to make sure that he's actually dead. So this small civil war comes out and eventually it's put to an end by Altair. And he becomes like the leader of this brotherhood. And he starts to reform the brotherhood. He allows the use of uh, poison uh, he removes the requirement to remove your ring finger. Um, and he forbids the teaching of all Malim's faith, false paradise. So he that's what he strikes when he becomes mentor of this brotherhood. He then attempts to spread his ideology to other assassins across the world. But this doesn't really work because the fourth crusade gets in the way. And we kind of know the rest that we, and if you want more on what happens to the, uh, Levantine Brotherhood, you can go listen to our episodes on the Mongol Empire, because that's basically what happens. There's a conflict with Genghis Khan, and then they come back and basically sack Masyaf. And that's kind of the end of the Levantine Brotherhood. It's so interesting to me, the massive amount of changes they make. Yes. Um, But let's... I don't want to um, get too far into theorizing, discussing anything like that. So let's go to our mid-break and then come back and we can kind of share our thoughts. Yeah, let's do that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Shoot! Shoot a flying demon! You weak fool! Get a job! Christina! Who's there? Me! Oh, it's you! I should have known! May I come in? Fine, but only for a minute. A minute is all I need. Indeed. Well, wait, uh, that came out wrong. 
Well, welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we talk about all the things that have to do with the Assassin's Creed lore cast and not the lore of Assassin's Creed. So the first thing that I have to tell you is that we are super, super thankful to everyone who is one of our patrons. Becoming a patron is the best way to support us um, on the show. And it's the number one way to help us keep doing the show. If you love the content that we make, um, that's the best way to support us. So if you're able to financially support us you can for as little as five dollars a month and we're super grateful to everyone who does so thank you so much the next best way to support us is to leave us a rating or a review and the one i have to read today is from abraham and abraham from ghana says just started listening love the pod five stars thank you so much for taking the time out to rate us and leave us that review um, and then the last thing I don't, well, not the last thing. I don't have any playthrough updates for you. I am currently starting, um, I have started the Fate of Atlantis DLC for Odyssey, which will be the last thing I do before I move on to Valhalla. But I know that this will take a long time. So, um, I don't, I haven't, you know, I, I've just started it. I don't have many updates. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about with our midbreak today is our survey. We introduced it on last week's episode and it does close tomorrow on July 28th. This episode is coming out on July 27th. So you have one more day, 24 more hours to go and take our survey. We are interested to know um, what's your favorite Assassin's Creed games, who's your favorite assassin, who you romanced in um, the later two games, those kinds of questions. We're just really curious about what... Um, our community thinks and enjoys about Assassin's Creed. So if you, um, you know, want to be part of this survey, we'll talk about it on the podcast in a few weeks. You got to go take the survey, um, before we close it on the 28th and, um, you know, it'll only take two minutes of your time and we would greatly appreciate it. So definitely go take that survey and tune in back in August for the results. And Austin, I think that's all I've got for the middle of the show so we can get back into it. Malaka! 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 Unless the legend is a lie, you are the man I long to meet, renowned master and mentor. It's your auditory, the la la la. Prego. Uh, forgive me. I have a hard time remembering that Italian gibberish. I'll see you all at the selection ceremony, ladies. I especially hope you show up. Let me guess. He's rich. So for the second half, because that's really all the information we have about this particular period in Assassin's Creed history, which is like one of the few instances we get of like an assassin civil war, basically. Of like assassins really conflicting with other assassins. It's one of the few moments we actually get of that. And so I have some discussion questions that I want to get into. And my first one is about the change of name for the Brotherhood. And I I have some thoughts. But if you have really strong ones, you can go first. Um. I don't know if I would classify it as strong thoughts, but I definitely do think it breaks that tenant. To me, it goes against the whole spirit of 
what Bayek and Aya established. Um, and, and to me, frankly, this Levantine Brotherhood, it feels almost as if they're doing this for glory. They're doing this for status and power to become powerful in the world rather than to protect the innocents, which is, you know, why the assassins were founded in the first place. Right. And we'll kind of talk about kind of breaking the core tenet in the next question. Uh, But I do think the change in name isn't necessarily a bad thing because the name Hidden One is so tied to Egyptian mythology and like tied to kind of how that area views that because the Hidden One is the name of an Egyptian god, Amon and Amunet. And so there's that tie in there that like as time progresses and we get far and farther removed from that, there's less knowledge or connection to the importance of that name. Um, And so kind of this changing kind of is a moment for me that the Brotherhood is adapting to its context, basically. I mean, I get that. I don't, I truly don't think the name matters that much to me. I'm much more focused on the actions of the leadership and like what their intentions are, I think. And I think we Mm -hmm. see with Al Mualim, like he's desperate for power. Right. Um, And that really leads into the next question, um, which is kind of just the assassins have always operated in the shadows. That's one of their core tenets to operate in the shadows. Do you think that the first Hassan decision to become a public order breaks this core tenet? Do you think he broke a core tenet of the Brotherhood by doing so? I absolutely do. Because to me, it's like, and I know we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but to me, it's like you're basically putting a spotlight on yourself and your organization by being this powerful, by being this public as having this huge fortress in Masyaf. So to me, it's like, not only are you breaking a core tenet of staying in the shadows, you're also screwing yourself over and making it much harder to continue um, to operate and not have enemies just know where you live at all times. Right. And as we see, Masyaf is attacked and sacked several times. What's interesting to me is like, and kind of just to see the other side, a core ideology of the assassins is protecting humanity's freedom and humanity's free will. At some level, the decision to make these assassinations more public and more inclined to have the people rise up against their impressors themselves is in line with this core tenet of allowing the people to make a choice and fight for their own freedom. But again, then at the same time, you are now putting the lives of innocents in danger. And it goes back to this ideology because it's not really until the Levantine Brotherhood where the ideology of nothing is true and everything is permitted starts getting introduced, which um, Ezio has a great quote about that 
that tenet, nothing is true and everything is permitted, is the beginning of wisdom, not its final form. I really like that quote. Um, He says that to Sophia when they're walking through Masyaf. He Mm. says, in arrogance, young men can take everything permitted to mean that they can do whatever they want and nothing will stop them. But in reality, it's that nothing should stand in the way of you protecting the freedoms of mankind and the free will of humanity. Right. I do think that that is very poignant conversation. And I also think that, you know, everything we've talked about today it is inherently tied to Assassin's Creed 1 and Assassin's Creed Revelations. And so I love Revelations. It's definitely one of my favorite games. Um, and I just feel like that game gives so much more depth to both Ezio and Altair that we just didn't get in the first two games. And not to say that we didn't have depth with Ezio, but it just, it takes it to a whole nother level. Like if you stop at Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood, like that's fine. Ezio still has a great story and he has a deep character and he has character growth that's amazing. But when you take it to Revelations, it takes it just so much deeper and to a much more universal um, level. And so for me, I'm just sitting here thinking about everything that Altair went through and everything he did to sacrifice and make sure that the lessons and the mistakes that they made with the assassins throughout his lifetime did not necessarily get repeated. And it's kind of heartbreaking to me because it, it feels like that sacrifice is almost in vain because they did get repeated. The assassins did go back into public. They did become more, um, you know, in the light and not in the shadows. And Abstergo is able to commit the great purge um, because of it. And so to me, it's just, it's a really sad situation, but I love Revelations and the scene with Ezio and Altair's corpse skeleton is still to this day one of the sickest scenes in all of Assassin's Creed to me. And it's just a point of Ezio and Altair are the only assassins that we get to see in their old age other than Achilles, but he's not a protagonist. And so we see them in their old age kind of speaking this kind of wisdom. And there's just a point of, you know, Ezio knowing that going from, you know, the smart, smart ass, um, basically playboy of Renaissance Italy to this old man who's looking at like to say, like, I didn't really understand anything. Like, and this understanding is complex and cannot just be spouted everywhere. And you really have to understand that the everything is permitted tenant is more of a shackle than it is a loosening of a freedom to do whatever you want. It's more of you have to do this to protect X than it is like, okay, like be flippant with the laws of humanity or whatever, and you can just murder whoever you want, or you can do whatever you want. That's not what the tenet is. 
And I think that it's difficult for uh, the Levantine Brotherhood, kind of how I talk about kind of like the theology of the Church of England. I think they definitely do have beliefs and theologies that they developed, but their position is so difficult because what do you do when you're founded on the principle of furthering one man's power? And so that's, I think that's a similar thing going on with, with this brotherhood is that they're founded because Al-Malim is sent away because he wants his own power and independence that he creates his own thing. And it's just really interesting. And from Altair's efforts to spread his reforms to the rest of the assassins kind of dictates that there's a rift between the brotherhood, between this brotherhood and the rest of them in probably North Africa and maybe Southern Europe. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know, man. It's just kind of a sad time for the assassins for me uh, because it's such a change from the intent of the organization as it was originally founded. Um, and I think I think a lot of these changes are not good ones. Right. I agree with that. Um, until Altair basically comes on the scene and mm-hmm. changes things a little bit. But he takes a lot. Of, he takes a long time to get there. Yeah, he does. And I mean, that's part of his story. That's part of everything that he goes through. Um, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have anything else to add before we wrap it up for the day? I don't think so. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We'll see you next time. listening to the assassin's creed lorecast you can find us on twitter at ac lorecast if you have any lore questions or topics to unpack join our cups podcasting and more discord server it's the best place on the internet you can also support us financially through our patreon find us on patreon.com slash assassin's creed lorecast the assassin's creed lorecast is part of the robots radio network for more information about the robots radio network join the discord server via the link in our episode's description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, make sure you give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. And always remember, Assassins, stay in the shadows to serve the light. Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. 
Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Nicola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later, and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's The Elden Archives, from Soft Lorecast, available everywhere. <laughs>